The Midday Report. I'm Mandy Wiener. Keep listening as we round up the key stories affecting your world with interviews with newsmakers, in-depth analysis and eyewitness news reporters on the ground. The Midday Report. The other developing story we are tracking is from early this morning, a large law enforcement contingent deployed outside the United Nations High Commission for Refugees Officers in Brooklyn, in Pretoria. A group of refugees, they had been camping outside these offices for years. They've been living outside these offices. They, they're part of a group that fled various countries with their families due to socioeconomic and political tensions as well. And the North Gauteng High Court in Pretoria recently ruling that these refugees, most from the DRC, from Burundi, from South Sudan, uh, who were camping there should be evicted and sent to Lindela Refugee Center for the purposes of deportation back to their countries of origin. Have a listen to some audio of one of the refugees saying that she's been camping outside uh, because of the crisis in her country in the DRC. That's why she's there, and the sound is courtesy of the SABC. I want the whole Africa and the whole world to hear this. If we are here, it's not because we want to live in this street here. No one in this world would prefer to stay in the street with his family. Do you understand? We ran away from our country because of the crisis. And that crisis is this international communities that are causing it. And all of you, you know, you are aware, we are aware of that. All we want to do, the UNHCR agency, they have the right to protect the refugees. Is this how they protect refugees? That sound courtesy of the SABC. Tabiso Goba, EWN reporter, is there for us at the moment. Tabiso, good afternoon to you. Describe the scene and what's been happening over the past few hours outside the United Nations offices in Brooklyn. Good afternoon, Mandy. Well, I can tell you that um, we still do have a large police contingency. Um, I just stepped away from the noise uh, for the purpose of this call. But I can tell you that... um, about um, several number of structures, as we are speaking, are being um, demolished. Um, so these structures are built on, most of them are built with wood. Um, they have um, uh, plastic and um, just uh, and corrugated iron. So, uh, you know, uh, employees from the city of Twani and from the sheriff of the high courts are just uh, loading all that uh, material into trucks. Uh, and obviously people are... Um, uh, clearing the staff and uh, making their way um, to sort of uh, towards the bottom of the of the of the street where there is a bus that has been um, provided for by the city of Swane that will transport them to um, Lindela, the repatriation center. Um, but obviously, um, as you as you heard in that uh, voice clip, uh, Mandy, a lot of people do not want to go to that repatriation mm-hmm. center, saying that you know. They've been there and they weren't treated very well. Uh, to be so, we're seeing very much an outpouring of emotion here from people saying they don't want to go. Uh, in your report on EWN, we heard a, a woman uh, crying, not wanting to, to go. What is your sense of, of the emotion that is there and what kind of response are we seeing from authorities to that? Um, yes, Mandy. You know, the thing is, you know, a, a lo- as you said, um, these people have been living here for on and off, you know, for, for a number of times. You know, um, so they've been evicted and coming back. So a lot of them have lived in Lindela. Now, Lindela is, um, you know, uh, they're describing it as a, as a concentration camp. Now, it is in Krugerstorp. It's, it's very close 
to um, the local uh, local residents here in South Africa, and they are scared that uh, you know that the xenophobia from local residents, South Africans uh, in particular, is is very high because um, people know that in that area in Lindela, um, there is uh, obviously refugees that live there. And there's also been stories of people, uh, you know of refugees or foreigners being um, assaulted and some even dying. So, you know, we haven't obviously been able to verify some of those um, stories of people dying there in Lindela. But that is just sort of the fear that yeah. um, that people have. They have the little fear that this is why we're living here outside the UN offices. You know, it's not ideally a place where we'd like to be. However, our lives are in danger if we go back to Lindela, if we go back to the Lindela uh, yeah. Repatriation Centre. Tabiso, thank you. Tabiso Goba, EWN reporter, who is outside the United Nations High Commission for Refugees Officers in Brooklyn. Well, let's speak now to Dr. Vusimuzi Sibanda, who's the chairperson of the African Diaspora Forum. Dr. Sibanda, good afternoon. Thank you for your time today. What is your reaction to this uh, law enforcement operation that we are seeing currently playing out in Brooklyn? Well, uh, good afternoon, good afternoon, listeners. Look, I think we are having, we are moving in circles because, you know, this issue actually started in about 2018, 2019, and it, it, it ended up, you know, with people being um, arrested and, um, you know, uh, because they ended up, you know, becoming violent and breaking into the United States offices. But I think at the core of this is basically the failure of the Department of Home Affairs, you know, to change, you know, the asylum seeker documents to proper refugee documents. And furthermore, to deal, you know, succinctly with issues that involve, you know, the attack on, 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 on migrants in particular in the country. And unfortunately, there hasn't been, you know, a case, you know, that has been put forth maybe properly to try and real challenge, you know, those particular, you know, eviction orders to the extent that the UNHCR must not always be a bystander in some of the issues that involve the care for asylum seekers and refugees in South Africa. Uh, Dr. Sibando, I understand that this is the result of a North Gauteng High Court ruling that these refugees uh, that are camping outside the offices must be evicted and sent to Lindela. Uh, are, are you aware, was there an attempt to, to oppose this or appeal that ruling at all? Um, also, it's not sustainable for refugees to continue to live on the pavement outside the UN's building. Uh, so, so what would you have proposed as a solution? Well, indeed, it is not sustainable at all. And, and it is also something that is almost not sustainable to say they should be taken to Lindela Repatriation Center because Lindela Repatriation Center is for, you know, people that are being repatriated to their countries. It is more of, you know, a detention center. And, you know, we, we had the same situation, you know, taking place in about 2019. And, you know, the Lindela Repatriation Center ended up releasing those people because they said these people are not convicted of being illegal in the country and therefore Lindela cannot, you know, house, you know, the people. So the, the court order does go on to say that these people will be given right to, you know, come in and go out of the center as they please. But we know that that center has always at some stage had people that were convicted, you know, being detained for repatriation, breaking out. And that would become, therefore, a security risk, you know, in order, you know, mixing in the same facility, you know, people that are meant to be asylum seekers or refugees together with those people that are being repatriated. So I, 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 know, I don't know if at the moment there isn't um, any, you know, effort to challenge those, obviously because um, I mean, it's uh, the financial constraints that will be in, but I am assuming that, you know, um, you know the, the conversations that are taking place on the sidelines are conversations that might actually try and ensure that, you know, some NGOs and civil society organizations are going to try and challenge that because we've had discussions with quite a few organizations that might actually assist 
in getting, you know, pro bono assistance to look at, you know, the cuts mm. of the matter really, you know, in terms of the protection of the rights of asylum seekers and refugees. Dr. Vusimuzi Sibanda Chairperson of the African Diaspora Forum speaking to us there. Thank you very much for your time today uh, reacting to this uh, law enforcement uh, operation that's been taking place. If you've seen the visuals, you would have heard the audio in EWN as well. We played a clip uh, of uh, some of those refugees reacting there, saying they do not want to go to Landela. Gangho Kimetswe says uh, on Twitter, it's incredible how these NGOs, radio hosts and stations always rise up and defend these foreigners, but don't want to live with the same people. Wealthy waterkloof residents don't want them, so let them go home to townships are full and too concentrated. There's no space. Look, this is going to be an issue that is going to draw criticism. I have no doubt about it because we do have such intense xenophobia uh, in, in this country and that is because of unemployment as well. We have such a big unemployment rate. So how should we resolve the situation with refugees? It's not sustainable for them to continue to live on the pavement outside the UN High Commission's building. But is it sustainable and is it reasonable and fair to send them to Lindela and to expatriate and they can't return to the countries they come from? What is your solution to this? Let me know. Hello, Mandy. Comment on the refugees being evicted. How many countries do you like skip before you get to South Africa if you move from Burundi or the DRC? So why don't some of these refugees um, settle in Botswana? Namibia or these neighboring countries, why do like do they choose to come to South Africa? South Africa cannot be the country that accommodates everybody. No, come on, guys, it's Sky and The midday report. The Supreme Court of Appeal ruling today against AFRI Forum in its appeal in the case of the old South African flag, the SCA unanimously finding that uh, it's hate speech, it's unfair race discrimination, it's harassment. And uh, remember that in May last year, AFRI Forum asked the Supreme Court of Appeal to set aside a 2020 order by the Equality Court that displaying the old South African flag constituted prohibited hate speech, discrimination and harassment. Uh, so let's speak now to Rupert Candy, who's the attorney representing the Nelson Mandela Foundation in this matter. Rupert, good afternoon to you. Thank you very much for your time. Uh, tell us about the ruling of, of the SEA uh, confirming uh your argument that indeed the uh, the old South African flag constituted prohibited hate speech and discrimination. Thank you, Mandy, for having me. I must just say that I've just finished reading the judgment. Uh, so I've just made a few notes. But it has been a clean sweep for our clients, as well as the Human Rights Commission, which is a co-applicant uh, in the matter. Um, it was unanimous judgment by Justice Skippers, and it has been confirmed that the old South African flag is a form of hate speech under the Equality Act, uh, as well as harassment and and, uh, unfair discrimination. Um, One of the things that the court did say, and it was particularly scathing, uh, and I quote this uh, portion, was that those who display the old flag convey a brazen, destructive message that that they celebrate and long for the racism of the past, in which only white people were treated as first-class citizens, while black people were denigrated and demeaned. It further went forward, uh, just so that I can finish the paragraph, that it is a glorification and veneration of the hateful system that contributed to most of the ills that beset our society today. Um, So, yes, it has been uh, a complete um, confirmation of the ruling of Justice Mojapelo in the High Court uh, in 2019. 
so, so does this mean on very practical terms that you cannot display the old South African flag uh, anywhere? And, and what does that mean? Does it mean anywhere in public? Does it mean in your own home? Uh, what exactly does this mean practically? So in practical terms, Mandy, it is the gratuitous public displays. Um, so it's not a far-reaching uh, prohibi- prohibition uh, because the uh, SCA confirmed that it may be uh, used for uh, in, in bona fide uh, artistic creativity or for journalistic purposes in the public interest, uh, for example, a documentary, and of course, if it's been kept in a museum. Um, insofar as the private display is concerned, the court did touch on that because Afri Forum did argue that it was far-reaching um, in that it uh, may prohibit private displays, but the court did not venture into that because it wasn't argued uh, in the lower court, in the equality court, and basically said that it's a fight for another day. Um, but uh, it did make some comments uh, uh, in passing, remarks in passing, did judge the skippers by saying that um, it would be you know, a fair day, basically, if... Um, family members, for example, come to somebody's home and um, for visiting purposes, for example, and note that there's a flag and young people see this and are indoctrinated for, for young, uh, from a young age. Mm. But as I said, it was simply a remark in passing. They didn't pronounce on that. So um, that question of whether it would apply to private settings has been left open by the SCA. Uh, and Rupert, just for clarity, does this need to be confirmed by the Constitutional Court? Uh, could AFRI Forum petition the Constitutional Court or, or take it further, or do you need to, to go and, and have it confirmed? No, not at all. Uh, so it has been, uh, the judgment has been confirmed. Thankfully, uh, the court uh, relied heavily on the John Coelani case, uh, you may right, remember, which course, was yeah. the United States around homophobia a couple of years ago. and. Interestingly, in that case, uh, the version of Justice Mochapelo, in our case, in the Equality Court, was confirmed. You know that um, it is not just words, but it's also symbolism which which may apply, like the apartheid flag, or, for example, uh, the flag of Nazi era Germany, which would be certainly be a form of hate speech. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would think that after forum, you know, we've seen in the past. Uh, hopefully, they don't. But we've seen in the past when it comes to, you know, uh, litigating on uh, law that has been passed pursuant to the uh, Section Nine right in the Constitution uh, of Equality. They've shown that they have quite an appetite for litigating these cases, uh, whether it's um, affirmative action, employment equity, or street renaming. Mm. Um, they've shown that they they take this forward, not just them, but also their um, sister organization, if you want to call it solidarity. So right. hopefully they do read the, the judgment and just understand the, the reasoning behind it. It's, a, it's all part of, you know, the nation-building project that we've been trying to build since 1994. Um, right. And it, it's not meant to be any kind of indictive stance by the Mandela Foundation. Rupert, thank you very much. Rupert Candy, the attorney representing the Nelson Mandela Foundation, reacting there to the decision made by the Supreme Court of Appeal in this case of the old South African flag, Afri Forum losing that appeal, the court unanimously finding that it is indeed hate speech, unfair race discrimination and harassment. The Midday Report.
12.36 on the Midday Report on 702 and Cape Talk. The Gupta-linked Nulani trial returning to court today. Judge Gusha expected to rule on an application to discharge criminal charges against five of the six accused in the matter. We're watching this closely because it is one of the test cases. It's the first state capture case that is being prosecuted by the NPA. The judge has already criticized the NPA's uh, one witness as dishonest and has refuses to, refused to grant him indemnity from prosecution. Nokokanya Mtambo, EWN reporter in court for us. Nokokanya, I know that you're listening to the judgment. We won't keep you for long. Uh, but give us a, a sense of where we are at the moment and what the judge has said. Sure. Good afternoon, Mandy. So Judge Nampumala Lokosha has spent uh, quite some time, over an hour um, at this point, just dealing with some of the merits of the case that have been put forward before the court. So all of the testimony that's been given by all of the witnesses so far. This is a case that started in January. So as you can imagine, uh, there's been a number of witnesses before the court uh, giving testimony about how exactly that 24.9 million rand tender was signed off on who exactly uh, was responsible for the final decision. Um, And so, um, as you rightfully mentioned, the only state witness uh, that appeared before the court has not been given indemnity on his uh, testimony. In fact, uh, Judge Gosha uh, criticized him for coming before the court and being untruthful in some of the testimony that he's given. And so no, te- uh, no um, indemnity has been given to him in that case. Uh, and so, again, we're still dealing with the rest of the testimony given. I think we're drawing closer to the end of it. And uh, any moment now we're expecting to learn whether any of the accused that have applied to be acquitted in this case will be granted acquittal or otherwise. And as you mentioned, again, it's a very important case for uh, the NPA and its investigative directorate because it is the first state capture trial or state capture case to go to trial. Um, mm. And so it's, it's a testing moment for the NPA. It's make or break. Um, I don't think at this point they can afford uh, to have this matter acquitted or any of these important uh, accused acquitted from the matter because, of course, it um, then uh, deals quite a massive blow to their attempt to get yeah. the Gupta brothers, Rajesh and the tool back in South Africa to account for fraud and money laundering charges in the very same matter, Mandy. Nokokanya, thank you. I'll let you get back to court. Nokokanya, I'm Tambo, EWN reporter. So a couple of things that Nokokanya said there that are really important to highlight. So this is an application for a discharge. Uh, the, 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 the accused are basically saying the state has not made its case against us. This case is not strong enough. We shouldn't be criminally charged. And uh, if the judge decides here that uh, they should be uh, granted that application, then the charge, the, the case falls, the case collapses. And this is so important because it is the first real state capture case that we're seeing. It is upon this case, uh, based on the basis of this case, that uh, the NPA did apply for the extradition of the Gupta brothers, which we know uh, has also failed in the UAE because of a decision made by a court in the UAE. So it's important. I, I, I'm not convinced it's make or break for the NPA. I think there are many other cases that the investigating directorate is prosecuting at the moment that are related to state capture. This one is not uh, where it stands and falls, but I do think it will have a dire impact on a public confidence in the ability of the state to bring to account those who were responsible for state capture. The Midday Report.
Tourism Minister Patricia DeLille is set to announce an interim three-member board for SA Tourism. Earlier this week, uh, DeLille announced that she was going to dissolve the board of SA Tourism. She said it would be gazetted today, which is Friday, and that she would announce three names today. And this is on the back of that uh, very contentious, uh, much-hyped Tottenham Hotspur sponsorship deal, which uh, really led to a lot of outrage as well, which has subsequently been cancelled. So let's speak to Tulani and Zima, the former CEO of SA Tourism uh, to get a sense of what the minister needs to do here and, and, and why it's important that the right people are appointed. Tulani, good afternoon to you. Thank you for your time. We have a situation now where the uh, tourism board has been dissolved. Three new people, three interim members are going to be appointed. We have heard calls, for example, Rebecca Davis from Daily Maverick saying you need to actually appoint people that know about tourism. Yes, uh, good afternoon, Andy, and uh, thank you very much for joining me. Uh, I think the, the first thing that you need to talk about is the importance of tourism in the South African economy. It does have a significant contribution, both in terms of its economic contribution and job creation, but it also does assist the country in terms of the transformational agenda. In the way in which we do that through an agency called South African Tourism it is a task of this agency to market the country abroad as a preferred destination for both leisure tourism and the business event tourism. What then becomes very important is to make sure that when you appoint a board and the executive for that matter, you need to have people with some semblance of understanding of firstly a key competence of South African tourism marketing. The classical marketing and the digital marketing becomes very important because of the cost-effective nature with which it is executed. The second one is people who understand the value chain in the tourism space. There's quite a lot that goes behind bringing a tourist finally into the country. So having people with the competence as well as the experience in this industry is what has been a challenge, not only at South African Tourism, but many other state-owned entities. So th- a three-person interim board is going to be appointed now. This isn't the, the full board, of course. So what, what, what do they need to do to right the ship here to make sure that there is uh, a, a continuity before the full board is appointed? Because in light of the fact that we've seen multiple members of the previous board resigning, uh, we've seen allegations of sexual harassment as well. So, so what do these three need to do? I don't think the intention of the minister in the appointment of an interim board of three people is to is for them to execute the full functions of the board. My understanding is that she does not want to see a vacuum uh, between the intervening period in appointing and uh, dissolving this current board as well as the appointment of the permanent board. This is largely because a South African Tourism Board consists of different committees, and a three-man uh, committee will never be able to f- uh, fulfill those functions effectively. But what the intention of the minister may be is to steady the ship and make sure that the governance and other very important uh, components of this business, continuity, accountability by management is in place. But uh, uh, m- my understanding as well is that she is not going to take too long the reason she's doing this is because there are governance and processes that are required before the appointment of a permanent board. So they are not really mm-hmm. going to be making huge decisions other than to steady the ship 
making sure that it's accountability. You must understand, Nandi, uh, that if there is no board, the CEO of an organization becomes the board. Yes. And it, it does not preclude them from making critical decisions at that point in time. They are uh, actually competent to do those kinds of things. So mm. the minister is managing that process as well. Tulani, thank you. Tulani and Zima, the former CEO of SA Tourism, giving us some insights and analysis there as we uh, expect the minister, Patricia DeLille, to announce an interim three-member board for SA Tourism. The Midday Report. How do you feel when the lights go out and you're hit by load shedding? Does it make you angry? Does it make you fearful of the situation? Are you disgusted? Are you just saddened by the whole situation? And I think different people respond differently to, to load shedding. And that's why I found this study uh, done by the University of Johannesburg's Professor Talita Kraling, a well-being economist, so, so interesting. She's looked at the crisis of load shedding and has provided stats to check just how these blackouts are impacting on our emotions. Uh, and people are angry, of course. They are the fearful, as I said, as well. There are all of these negative emotions. And, and she's looked at the difference. So, for example, the emotion of anger, disgust, fear and sadness almost doubled compared from the 13th to the 16th of April last year to the same period this year with the announcement of stage six load shedding. Professor Talita Kroeling joining us now, a well-being economist at the University of Johannesburg. Prof, good afternoon to you. Thank you for your time. It's no great mystery, the fact that we get angry or sad or fearful because of load shedding. But this is interesting because it tells us which of these negative emotions we're doing more and how much more? Yes, this is a very good opportunity where we can actually quantify emotions. And I'm an economist, so we are looking at the numbers and we can see it almost doubled since April or this week in April 2022. And one must remember even then we had load shedding. So people are much the negative emotions are much higher than in 2022 when we already had load shedding. And and are, are you sure it's just the load shedding? Or is it the inflation? Is it uh, the poor service delivery? Is it all the other stuff as well? Or can you directly associate this with load shedding? Well, I think load shedding plays a role because it touches everybody's lives. But there are so many factors in the economy at the moment. Interest rates hiked. The new inflation figures showed that inflation increased. That means your food um, basket increased. Um, if you think of economic growth, I don't know if South Africans even know what the word any longer means because I'm sure we are very close to a recession if we're not in a recession. So it's not only load shedding, but if we think about load shedding, load shedding is probably one of the main factors in this whole basket because that contributes to lower economic growth, um, loss of employment, um, the, the high interest rates are there to strengthen the brand and look at the inflation. So many of these things are directly connected. So when you publish a graph that I'm looking at here, um, which looks at the negative emotions comparison between 2022 and 2023, uh, the, the highest uh, bar in orange is fear compared to anger, disgust and sadness. I had assumed that people would be more angry than fearful. Why do you think it is that people react with the emotion of fear when it comes to load shedding? Well, these are- Just some interesting facts. 
when something happens, when you have an impulse, something happens, the first emotion that you see is anger. As it lasts, you see fear and sadness increasing. So the, the reason here is anger is already, that was your first emotion. But for fear, the, the people fear of losing their jobs. A big um, factor is children and education. And they get interrupted. They can't study at night. Um, they can't get access to the internet. So that's got a, there's a fear around that. There's also fear about what is the future. So it's something that you can work or, or there are always positive emotions in the economy. So you always try to, the positive can counteract the negative. So in short, Sorry, Prof, we lost you for for a second there um, and I jumped in. But in short, what this is telling us is that uh, as a nation, we are more angry, more disgusted, more fearful, more sad than we were at this time last year. Uh, and that means that that, of course, has a direct link to whether we're productive, whether we have uh, whether we're healthier, whether we're more supportive of institutions as well. It affects the, the, the psyche of the nation. That is very true. Happier people are people that's more productive, they work harder, they show interest, they show excitement. And if we lose that, that it's really a problem. It's really a problem. Just as increased negative emotions can lead to action, like civil riots. So these are things that we've seen before. Prof, thank you so much. Professor Tadita Hreling, well-being economist at the University of Johannesburg. I find this fascinating uh, to look at the impact. We all we all know that we get angry or, or, or get, get more fearful um, because of, of load shedding. But this is a really good gauge where you can quantify just how much that is happening. The Midday Report. That's a wrap of the day's news. Don't forget you can catch the full Midday Report live on 702 and Cape Talk via our streams on YouTube and our website 702.co.za and capetalk.co.za. Keep checking in for updates from my colleagues at Eyewitness News. Till the next time, I'm Mandy Wiener. Latest news, breaking stories, expert analysis. All you need to know in 60 minutes. This is the Midday Report.